It's Brazil. It's Switzerland. It's Serbia. And it's Cameroon. It's Group G. And it's the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. It's the International Soccer Preview by Soccer Files Canada. Hello and welcome to the International Soccer Preview by Soccer Files Canada. I'm Kevin. And I'm Connor. We are doing a group-by-group preview in this series, and this podcast is looking at Group G, made up of Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, and Cameroon. Right, and this series will be followed by our next one, which is a team-by-team look at the players. Then shortly before the Cup, we'll be doing another podcast series uh, with final updates on both the teams and the players. This series features a deep dive into the World Cup Finals history of the teams. Uh, For a deeper dive still, you can check out any of the nine podcast series we've done so far. Uh, and we'll talk more about that at the end of this podcast. Right, so now let's look at the three sections we'll be covering in this podcast. So with part one, we begin with a look at who is in the group, which pot they came from, their colors and nickname, and some geographical information about each country, uh, comparing how big each country is in relation to the others in the group. Okay, and uh, part two is the longest section. That includes a team-by-team overview with a quick review of their participation and major achievements, an overview of their World Cup and Regional Cup histories, and uh, the special feature of this series, a deep dive into their World Cup finals history. Uh, We'll give particular attention at the end to their recent tournaments and games. And finally, part three ends with a summary of each team and a sense of their current form as we lead into a comparison of the team to their FIFA and ELO rankings, head-to-head meetings, and the odds on the success. That will launch us into a discussion of their prospects and our predictions. Okay, and at the end, we will again provide our address and the links so that those who want to delve into more history on the teams can check out uh, any of our previous series uh, podcasts. There is, by the way, a YouTube version of this and a podcast audio version. They're the same broadcast, but in the YouTube version, uh, there are simple graphics to follow uh, while one listens along. And uh, those can also be found in the show notes. All right, Connor, I am wearing a, uh, for once, I'm wearing a shirt appropriate to our podcast uh, because I actually do have a Brazil shirt. So here it is. Very nice. Well, I'm wearing a Wales shirt. Um, Wales met Brazil um, in the 1958 World Cup. And if Wales meet Brazil at some point in this cup, they'll have had a good tournament, I'm sure. I, I, I really think you're stretching a little bit there, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it points to uh, both of our lack of shirts, uh, which we'll have to uh, sort out sometime. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to part one, and uh, we'll just introduce the teams here, beginning with part one. Yeah, um, so the part one team is Brazil. Um, They're the number one team, uh, according to the FIFA rankings, coming into this tournament. Um, So yeah, they'll be among the favorites. Uh, Their nicknames, they have a few, but the Selecao, or the Selection, um, 
kind of used to refer to the final squad is is one I've heard the most. Um, and Brazil, of course, wears their yellow shirts with uh, with uh, green, um, a little bit of green on the collar and sleeves. Yeah, um, blue shorts and white socks. Right, that famous uh, look. We don't have the blue shorts in the picture, just the shirt, but they're part of it. All right, pot two. The pot two team is Switzerland. Uh, they came from near the bottom of pot two, is ranked 14th coming into this tournament. Um, their nicknames are are the Schweitzer Nati, or the national team, um, or the Red Crosses, um, and they wear uh, an all-red kit with a white as their backup. Yeah, uh, what uh, what tournament was it in where they were ripping like paper? Was that 2014? I, yeah, I remember that. I forget the <laughs> tournament, but I, I do remember that, uh, that issue. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, part three. All right, pot three team is Serbia. They're from the middle of pot three. Um, so kind of average strength among those teams. Um, they wear uh, red kits with a bit of white trim. Um, and their nickname is the Blues or the Eagles. Uh, yeah, I don't think they wear blue like the old Yugoslavia did, but uh, that's where the name comes from. Okay, and uh, pot four is, is, oh, is pot four. Yeah, Cameroon, um, the Indomitable Lions. Um, they're from actually the, the top of pot four, um, the highest ranked among the teams in that pot, though skewed a little bit because there are some, some higher ranked teams in that pot if they went through a playoff. Um, and Cameroon wear a dark green shirt with uh, red and yellow. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, now that uh, brings us on to a bit of information about the country. So where are they and how big a country are they? All right. Well, starting with Brazil, they're the largest country uh, in South America um, at, a, at a, an area of about 8.5 million square kilometers. And that's the third largest um, country among um, World Cup teams. They also have the second largest population at 215 million people, um, only behind the U.S. Um, of all countries here. All right. That is Brazil. And over to Switzerland. Right. Switzerland's a, a small landlocked country in, in Western Europe. Um, it's one of the smallest countries in here, the, the fourth smallest. It is 41,000 square kilometers. Um, and its population also relatively small, 8.7 million, has them ranked 25th out of 20 out of 32 teams. Right. Okay. And we have a couple of maps for Serbia because we're going to talk about uh, uh, Serbia and Yugoslavia, which I'll explain soon. Yeah, they're a country in southeastern Europe in the Balkan region. Um, Serbia is about double the size of Switzerland. That's uh, the current Serbia at 88,000 square kilometers. Um, and a population just slightly smaller at 6.8 million. That's 26 out of 32 countries. All right. And uh, finally, uh, Cameroon. Right. Um, Cameroon's a country in, in West Africa. It's actually um, kind of at the bend uh, in Africa on the Atlantic side, um, where the coastline goes from east-west to north-south. Um, Cameroon, uh, 475,000 square kilometers, so 10 times the size of Switzerland. It's the 11th largest country competing in these finals by area. And at 24 million people um, is 18th out of the 32 countries. 
All right, so we'll just take a, a quick review of that to compare the three or the four countries side by side. Yeah, so Brazil's the, the giant in terms of soccer country, but also the giant uh, in terms of, of size and population, 215 million. Uh, next is Cameroon, about 10 times smaller um, at 24 million. And then smaller still, you have Switzerland with 8.7 million people and Serbia 6.8. All right. Uh, okay, well, that brings us on to part two of the podcast, where we uh, look at the team-by-team uh, team kind of histories, and uh, especially their recent history at the end. No, I mean, especially the deep dive into their World Cup history, but also with a view to their recent history. So we'll begin with uh, Brazil, uh, whose first game uh, international game was in 1914, and uh, Brazil is the only team to have completed qualification for every World Cup. Their record is not so consistent for Copa America, even though they officially entered every cup since 1916. They withdrew from several cups in the 1920s, two in the 1930s and 40s, and once in the 1950s and 60s, last withdrawn from the Copa America in 1967. And uh, Connor will kind of overview their achievements. Yeah, well, Brazil are considered the most successful soccer team in the world, uh, not only because they won the World Cup five times uh, more than any other country, but because they have placed uh, in the top three on nine occasions. Uh, they did not win when they most wanted to, though. Both times Brazil hosted the Cup met with disappointment. At the regional level, it will surprise many to know that they are not the dominant team and not even second. In terms of Copa America title wins, they are third with nine titles, well behind Uruguay and Argentina, who each have 15. Okay. Uh, well, let's give an overview of uh, the World Cup uh, for them then. Um, so they not only entered every edition of the Cup, but they're the only team to successfully uh, qualify for every World Cup. They were not a dominant team in the early years, however, getting knocked out of the group stage in each of the first three editions. Uh, the first post-war cup was supposed to rectify this, but 1950, as Connor said, proved a painful disappointment uh, when they hosted, known as the Maracanazo, um, with host Brazil suffering a famous loss in the final, or what was effectively the final, to Uruguay. Uh, 1958 to 1970 saw three titles out of four and set Brazil on top of the football world. Ironically, the only tournament they did not win over those four editions was 1966 in England, uh, where they were knocked out at the group stage. That's the only time that happened. Uh, further wins in 1994 and 2002 established them as the most successful soccer nation with uh, five titles. Actually, Connor. Uh, Germans might argue with what we're saying here. What do you think? Um, yeah, possibly in terms of, um, you know, perhaps getting to the semifinals. I think Germany has an equal or possibly better record. But, I mean, looking at terms of titles, that's what people count. And Brazil has the most. So I think it's difficult to argue with that. Yeah. Anyway, 2014 saw them hosting again. But as in 1950, it ended in disappointment. Expectations of glory became humiliation with a shocking 1-7 loss to Germany in the semi-final. Ouch! Oh, so painful. Yeah. 
Okay, well, now we launch into the um, we launch into the uh, deep dive into their history, which we've divided uh, into six parts. Brazil probably being the busiest team, uh, other than West Germany, perhaps. And so the first part deals with 1930 to 1938. So they were at a low in their region at the time of the first World Cup, withdrawing from all five Copa America tournaments between 1926 and 1935. They lost their first ever World Cup game in Uruguay uh, in 1930 with a 1-2 loss to Yugoslavia. A 4 nothing win over Bolivia in the second game was not enough to pass the group stage. Italy 1934 was worse still. That tournament was structured like the modern-day finals, a knockout competition uh, from starting with the round of 16. Uh, they lost 1-3 to Spain, who scored all three of their goals between uh, 18 minutes and 29 minutes. Their star striker, Leonidas, nicknamed the Black Diamond, got their only goal in the second half. Uh, they and all other non-European teams had traveled a great distance to play just one game. And when FIFA broke their word and hosted the next cup in Europe also, all of South American teams dropped out. However, Brazil did not, and in 1938, they got more than one game. The round of 16 game with Poland is a famous game. Poland's Wilamowski uh, scored a fourth goal at 89 to make the score 4-4 and push the game to extra time. There, Leonidas, who had scored the first goal of the game, added two more. Poland's Wilamowski scored... Uh, sorry, he scored a hat-trick in the uh, regular time, scored his fourth goal at 1.18, just two minutes before the end of uh, extra time. Uh, but that was not enough to overcome Brazil's two goals, and Brazil advanced. The quarterfinal saw a 1-1 draw with Czechoslovakia. It was a famously brutal game dubbed the Battle of Bordeaux. Two Czech players were rushed to hospital with broken bones, and three other players were injured. Two Brazilians and one Czech, Czechoslovakian player were sent off. Uh, those are the only ejections of the tournament. And it ended in an all-out brawl. The result has not been resolved. Uh, the result had not been resolved through extra time. And it required a replay game. Blessedly, the second game was much tamer and Brazil won 2-1 coming back from a goal down with two second-half goals. They moved on to face tournament uh, host... No, they moved on to face uh, defending champions Italy in the semi-final. The Brazilian manager made the decision to leave Leonardis, who had scored in every game to that point, and another key player on the bench, declaring he was resting them for the final. It seems more likely, given the many elements of corruption... Um, around the World Cup at that time, uh, that, um, that uh, he was coerced into doing that. Brazil lost 1-2 to two and made their way to a third-place match where they beat Sweden 4-2. Leonardo scored twice to win the Golden Boot Award. All right. For part two, we'll look at 1950-1962. So post-war, Brazil looked to win their first title as host in 1950. After winning their group, 
uh, they advanced to a final round where they crushed Sweden 7-1 and Spain 6-1. The third game with Uruguay was effectively the final, although Brazil needed only a draw to win the tournament. Brazil was naturally confident going into the Maracana, a huge stadium built for the cup with a stunning capacity of 200,000. They dominated early, but Uruguay survived the onslaught and the teams went to halftime nil-nil. Brazil scored early in the second half, but Uruguay tied at 66. At 79, Brazil was taken by surprise as Uruguay scored again. Brazil could not recover and had to settle for second place. The mere title of the match, Maracanazo, brings pain to Brazilians, uh, some of whom allegedly had heart attacks or committed suicide over this result. Though a cold comfort, Brazil did win the golden boot again, uh, Adamir scoring nine goals, um, which was four more than the silver boot. Uh, 1954 in Switzerland saw Brazil again top their group. They faced the mighty Hungarians in the quarterfinals and lost 2-4. to four. The matter effectively settled seven minutes in with Hungary's second goal. Uh, the game, dubbed the Battle of Bern, is more famous for its violence. On the field, the game became progressively violent after Brazil got a goal back on a penalty at 18 minutes. In the end, three players were sent off and the violence spilled over to a brawl in the dressing room after the game. Uh, not the first time with Brazil. Uh, 1978 Sweden featured a 17-year-old Pele and the only European-hosted World Cup that was won by a non-European team. Pele was actually on the bench for their first two games as Brazil won their group. He scored the only goal at 66 minutes in their quarterfinal win over Wales but came into the spotlight with an uninterrupted hat-trick in the semi-final, a 5-2 win over France. It was 5-2 in the final over host Sweden, Bava and Pele each scoring two, uh, and Brazil had their first title. Brazil earned their second title in Chile 1962. For a third time, the tournament started with a win over Mexico, just 2-0 uh, this time. Pele scored the second goal, but it would be his only goal of the tournament, as a star was injured in the following game, uh, a nil-nil draw with Czechoslovakia, and out for the tournament. A 2-1 win over Spain saw them through in first once more. The quarterfinal paired them with England, and Garincha proved the, the uh, goal-scoring hero. Uh, he had been uh, on the squad in 1958 and earned two assists, but he was prominent in this cup. The semi-final saw a 4-2 win over host Chile, it was a tight game and a rough one with two players sent off, one of them Garincha who had scored their first two goals. The final saw them face Czechoslovakia again, having tied them in the group stage. Czechoslovakia scored at 15 minutes, but Brazil quickly leveled at 17. It remained that way until 69 when Brazil scored the winner, adding another before the end. Uh, the Czechoslovakian keeper, by the way, made a mistake on two of the goals, um, but Brazil came away with their second World Cup. All right, well, part three deals with 1966 to 1978. Uh, England 1966 was their worst result uh, in World Cup history, although it began with a 2 nothing win over Bulgaria. I just want to correct a mistake uh, that I've made there. Uh, they were knocked out in the group stage here. They were also knocked out in the group stage of the first World Cup, uh, but not the second World Cup because that was uh, just a knockout round of 16 knockouts, so there was no group stage there. So this would be their second uh, their second uh, of two 
knockouts at the group stage level. Uh, so after their win over Bulgaria, it was a 1-3 loss to both Hungary and Portugal, which left them third in the group stage and out of the tournament. Brazilian players were reportedly mauled in those two games, but uh, the players who did that went unpunished. No yellow cards handed out in either game. Uh, both games actually were officiated by a referee from host country England. 1970 Mexico is regarded as the best World Cup ever and Brazil the best World Cup team ever. After winning all games in qualification, they won all games in the group stage. Pele scored three goals, but Jairzinho shone more brightly with goals in each game, uh, four, four in all. They breezed through the quarterfinal with a 4-2 uh, win over Peru, but it was tougher in the semifinal against Uruguay, the 3-1 scoreline making it seem uh, a bit easier than it actually was. So too, the final, where despite going up early at 18, Italy equalized at 37, and the game remained tied and tense until midway through the second half. But Brazil's attacking prowess overwhelmed Italy's defensive style, and goals at 65 and 71 decided the matter. A final goal at 86, making it a 4-1 win for their third title, which gave them permanent possession of the Jules Rim trophy. Jorginho scored seven goals to Pelé's four, but it was Pelé who seemed the face of Brazil. West Germany 1974 saw Brazil in a three-way tie uh, for first place in the group stage with Yugoslavia and Scotland. Uh, the matter came down to how many goals each had scored against Zaire, the fourth team in the group. Uh, Yugoslavia had thrashed them 9-0, so took first, and uh, Brazil took second. Um, uh, Sorry, yes, Brazil took second place um, over Scotland, who I think they scored only one goal over Zaire. Uh, no, two, two goals over Zaire, whereas Brazil had scored three. Uh, this tournament featured a second group stage, and in that they won uh, one nothing over East Germany and 2-1 over Argentina. Uh, and that brought the matter of who would reach the final down to the third game with Netherlands. The Dutch had come out of nowhere to shock the world with their total, total football philosophy. Uh, that's where players readily and confusingly exchange positions on the field. And even Brazil proved no match for it, losing 0-2. Uh, they met another team at the peak of their career in the third place match and lost to Poland there to finish in fourth place. Argentina 1978 was closer to home and it opened with a 1-1 draw with Sweden and an incident. Brazil was awarded a late corner kick. They scored a winning goal on it, but the goal was disallowed as the Welsh referee insisted that he blew the final whistle while the ball was in the air. <laughs> Naturally, Brazilian fans were furious. Uh, anyway, Brazil secured their passage in second place with a draw in Spain and a win over Austria. This too was a tournament featuring a second group stage, and uh, they secured. Um, and uh, sorry, Brazil beat Peru three nothing, and then went scoreless with host Argentina. Brazil did what they needed to do, uh, beating a still in form Poland, 
but suspicion surrounds uh, Argentina's 6 nothing win in the other match over Peru that saw them through to the final. For Brazil, it was another third-place match, and this one they won over Italy. All right, that brings us to part four of six, uh, beginning with 1982 in Spain. Um, Brazil won all three group stage games over USSR, Scotland, and New Zealand. In the second group stage, they easily beat defending champions Argentina 3-1, a young Maradona earning an ill-tempered red card at 85 minutes before Argentina got their late goal. In what is considered one of the best World Cup games, a pattern was established um, of Italy scoring, then retreating back to their defensive shell. This happened three times with Brazil breaking through that shell twice. However, they were unable to when Italy took the lead for the third time at 74 minutes. Um, Paolo Rossi scored all three of Italy's goals. Uh, Renowned players Zico and Socrates um, had, along with the whole team, showed good Brazilian uh, flair, but Brazil fell short of the final. 1986 in Mexico also saw three wins at the group stage. Poland's period of strength was coming to an end even before Brazil's 4-0 win over them in the round of 16. Uh, The tournament ended with another memorable game, uh, this one against France, or Brazil's tournament, I should say. Uh, They played to a 1-1 draw, and in extra time, Brazil hit the woodwork twice and frequently overran France. However, keeper Joel Batz kept France in it. Among other things, he saved a Zico penalty 12 minutes from time and also saved a penalty in the shootout, where Brazil missed their first and last for a quarterfinal exit. 1990 was an even quicker exit still, but saw Brazil winning all group stage games yet again. Brazil lost to Argentina in the round of 16, uh, the only goal coming 10 minutes from time. Um, USA 1994 was the next World Cup. Um, Just to interrupt a bit, Connor. Go for it. They played actually a warm-up game in Canada, in in Edmonton here. Uh, It was during the summer, so they didn't uh, freeze. And uh, me and your dad attended that game, actually, and it was a 1-1 draw. Uh, But I really feel like I influenced the World Cup there, because when Romario scored, he kind of came over to celebrate underneath where I was. So uh, I think uh, the 19-year-old me uh, shook a fist at, no, I would have been a bit older than that, but shook a fist at him and called him a bun from the stands. And, uh, you know, I think that's what honed Brazil's team to enable their title win here. Yeah, they got on track as Canada tied that game. Yeah. 1-1. Yeah, I may have done a disservice there, but um, um, motivated him to, to achieve greatness there. Yeah. Well, the tournament itself began with a 2-0 win over Russia, um, and a 3-0 win over Cameroon. Uh, Sweden held them to a 1-1 draw in their final group stage game and both advanced. In the round of 16, Brazil were under threat from host USA uh, when Brazil took a red card just before halftime. However, USA relinquished the advantage by getting their own red card at 64 minutes, and Brazil got the only goal of the game at 72. Uh, the quarterfinal with Netherlands ended with a 3-2 win for Brazil, and Brazil met Sweden once again in the semi-final, and it was again low-scoring. Uh, a motivated Romero getting <laughs> the only goal uh, of the game at 80 minutes. That brought them to the final with Italy, which went scoreless all the way to penalties. It ended with Italian hero Roberto Baggio famously skying his penalty far over the crossbar. 
and giving Brazil uh, their fourth title. Yeah, Baggio had been great in the cup, but uh, unfortunately uh, will be remembered more for that. But we'll move on to part five of six, 1998 to 2006. So France, 1998, and Brazil meet, uh, met Scotland for the fourth time uh, in a World Cup group stage, winning two to one. A three-nil win over Morocco assured their passage. Norway in game three faced the impossible task of be beating Brazil to advance, especially after Brazil scored the first goal of the game at 78. However, Norway battled back to score at 83 and then won on a penalty at 88, uh, both teams advancing there. The round of 16 was a comfortable 4-1 win over Chile, and it was 3-2 over Denmark in the quarterfinal. In the semis, budding star Ronaldo scored just after halftime to take the lead over Netherlands uh, at 46, but the Dutch leveled at 87 to force extra time and then penalties, but Brazil won. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to uh, 2002. I guess just to wrap that up, oh, um, yes, they met France in the final of that tournament where um, Zidane scored the first two and, and host France won their first title. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. I was getting a little bit confused. Uh, but yes, uh, the, in the final, it was a win. Uh, it was a loss to France, host France. Thanks, Connor. Okay. 2002 in South Korea, Japan would see the Brazilians earn their fifth title. Uh, they didn't come in with great hope, having lost seven of their 10 road games in qualifying. However, they once again won all three group stage games. Uh, Rivaldo got the winner on a penalty at 87 uh, against Turkey in the group stage and would go on to score in each of their first five games. However, he earned no notoriety for a shameful simulation in that Turkey match. Uh, late on and already 2-1 up, uh, a Turkish defender kicked the ball a little hard, but with no great ferocity, uh, ferocity towards Rivaldo, who was uh, standing at the corner waiting to take a corner kick. The ball hit him on his uh, shielding arm, but he went down holding his face and rolling around holding his belly as if he'd been shot. Uh, it earned actually a second red card for the Turkish player, and Rivaldo suffered no punishment in the tournament itself. But on video review, he was fined uh, $4,500 for simulation and unsporting behavior. Have you seen that clip, Connor? I have, and I, and I actually think I remember it live. Such was my outrage at the seriousness uh, of it. <laughs> A lot of people were outraged by that, especially since the Turkish player, uh, you know, with, uh, got a red card out of it. Anyway, Brazil went through to face Belgium in the round of 16, and that went scoreless until Rivaldo and Ronaldo each scored in the second half. Brazil beat England. Uh, uh, well, they got the best of England on both goals in the quarterfinal. Uh, the second one was a famous free kick by Ronaldinho, catching the goalie out of position on a bit of an odd but a perfectly taken free kick. Uh, Ronaldinho then took a harsh red card later in the game, but Brazil passed to the semi-finals, where they once again met Turkey. 
Uh, this time it was less dramatic with Ronaldo scoring the only goal of the game at 50. He went on to score both goals in the final against Germany and won the Golden Boot Award. That was Brazil's fifth title. Uh, 2006 was set in Germany and once again Brazil won all group stage games. A tremendous effort by Ghana in the round of 16 was to no avail as Brazil won 3-0. But France kept the Brazilian attack under good control and won on a single goal at 57, subjecting Brazil to a quarterfinal exit. All right, um, picking it up with our last parts. Uh, 2010 in South Africa saw Brazil beating the valiant North Koreans 2-1 uh, and Ivory Coast 3-1. Um, and then a scoreless tie with Portugal saw them both advance from the group. Chile was just entering a good period, but proved no match as Brazil won 3-0 in the round of 16. Brazil showed their flair in the first half against Netherlands and were up at halftime on a goal at 10 minutes. They were frustrated, though, by Netherlands' comeback goals at 53 and 68, and a red card at 73 made further comeback difficult. It ended that way, and Brazil were once again out in the quarterfinals. In 2014, Brazil hosted for a second time with hopes of overcoming the disappointment of 1950. Uh, in the group stage, a nil-nil draw with Mexico was sandwiched between wins over Croatia and Cameroon. Uh, star Neymar's first goal um, was the 100th goal of the cup in Brazil's 100th World Cup appearance. Um, that was in their, their game three win over Cameroon. Uh, Brazil was edged, um, however, by Germany, who reached that 100-game milestone in their first game of this tournament. Um, so Germany's actually played more games uh, at World Cups than Brazil. That's funny, because I think we were talking about that in a previous podcast, wondering who had more. Yeah, so it, it, is, uh, it is Germany. Mm -hmm. um, Brazil and Chile played out a 1-1 draw in the round of 16, and actually, Brazil was almost out when Chile slammed the shot off the crossbar in the last minute of extra time. Um, three out of the four penalties, of the first four penalties were missed, but it ended when Chile uh, hit the post um, and Brazil won, uh, won on penalties. The 2-1 quarterfinal went over Colombia was a rough affair with 54 fouls. Wow. Uh, Brazilian star Neymar was stretchered off and out of the tournament after receiving a flying knee in the back by Juan Zaniga. Do you remember that one? I do, and I was always a bit surprised that uh, there wasn't more kind of anger towards Zaniga. It looked, I've looked at it again, and it, it looked very intentional, but he seemed to get away with just by saying, oops. Yeah, it. Uh, like we said, it took Neymar out of the tournament. He was really the face of Brazil at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really historical event of the tournament took place in the semi-final against Germany, and surpassed even the shock of the 1950 American Azo. In a collapse really beyond description, Brazil allowed five goals by 29 minutes, with four of them coming in a period of just six minutes. Oh, my Lord. Uh, it ended in a humiliating 1-7 loss. Uh, no surprise that they were not mentally present for their 0-3 loss to Netherlands in the third-place match. Uh, more disturbing was a defensive lapse reminiscent of the semi-final that allowed Netherlands their opening goal on a penalty just three minutes in. So that game starting almost as poorly, but not to the same extent as their semi-final against Germany. Yeah, it just completely fell apart there. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the long history of Brazil, probably the uh, longest World Cup history in the world there. Uh, but it continues on actually with their 2018 tournament, which we'll look at in detail here. Yeah, so in qualifying, Brazil lost their first game, but then none after that uh, for a consistent and really imperious qualification. Um, yeah, 10 points ahead of Uruguay there. Yeah, um, they suffered only one draw at home to Uruguay and four on the road, um, but finished with a record of 12 wins and five draws and one loss from 18 matches. Um, at the tournament, um, actually, Brazil um, meet uh, in 2018 also played Switzerland and Serbia, who they're grouped with again here. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, Costa Rica were the other team. Um, and Brazil started kind of uncharacteristically slowly. They tied Switzerland and needed injury time goals to beat Costa Rica, though they did look more convincing over Serbia and, and still finished first in the group stage. Uh, Star Neymar continued to take... Uh, center stage, uh, both for good play and ridiculous antics. Um, and they swept past Mexico, but Belgium proved too much for them in the quarterfinal. Um, so Brazil exited um, in the final eight. All right. Well, kind of a bit of a sudden exit, but overall, not, not a really great tournament apart from the qualification there. Uh, let's see how they did uh, for 2022 World Cup qualifying. Yeah, they actually qualified with an even better record um, than they did in 2018. Uh, wow. Yeah, um, they tied only three games, won all the others, and finished a distant first in the large qualifying uh, group, six points ahead of second place Argentina. Um, 17 points ahead of third place Uruguay. Yeah, in incredible. They actually were one of the first teams to secure passage to, the, uh, to this World Cup. And they haven't even finished qualification, Connor. That's right. Uh, <laughs> they had a game uh, against Argentina that was called off, allegedly for Argentinian players breaching proto uh, COVID protocols. And that game is yet to be played. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, actually, they've just called it off now. Yeah. They were going to play it in September, but uh, uh, I believe it's being called off. Well, it makes no difference. Brazil and Argentina were going to finish one and two no matter what. Right. Um, but kind of in summary, uh, Brazil comes into this tournament in just kind of incredible form. Uh -huh. um, South America is a very strong region, and they look very, very good in qualifying. That's right. And uh, now we'll turn our attention actually to how they've been doing within South America. Uh, and we'll just give an overview of their Copa America history uh, here. Um, ironically, though, uh, though they're on top of the world, on top of the world, they're not on top of South America. Uruguay and Argentina both have won uh, the Copa America 15 times. Uh, this compares with Brazil's relatively meager nine regional titles. Uh, this was twice in the early years, 1919 and 1922. Once in a long drought between 1923 and 1987, that was when they were winning all their World Cups. Uh, their only title in that period was 1949. And then in 1989, and then a run of four out of five between 1997 and 2007. Uh, the three editions uh, since 2007 were disappointing quarterfinal finishes followed by a knockout at the group stage in the 2016 Copa America Centenario. 100th year edition 
Uh, and that was the only time uh, or the second time in their long history where they were knocked out in the group stage. Um, yes, uh, and we're going to move on to 2019 and 21 tournaments and look at them in detail. Yeah, so Brazil hosted in 2019, um, and although they were playing um, without their injured star Neymar, uh, they suffered a draw with Venezuela, but otherwise easily won the group uh, with big wins over Bolivia and Peru. For the third time in four editions, they went to penalties with Paraguay in the quarterfinals, but for the first time they won. Um, they moved on to beat Argentina in the semis to reach the final. There they met Peru, who they had beaten 5 nothing in the group stage, and they beat them again, 3-1 uh, this time, to win their ninth title. Right, okay. Well, they also hosted in 2021 Argentina, or um, who was supposed to host? Was it Argentina? I think it was Argentina, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was some controversy with COVID and all that. But anyway, yeah. Brazil hosted, um, and they won their first three um, games over Venezuela, Peru, and Colombia, then tied Ecuador to finish first uh, in a five-team group stage, kind of a new format. They then beat Chile in an exciting quarterfinal, uh, decided on a single goal um, in, in that game, um, as was a semifinal win over Peru. Um, both won nothing wins. They met Argentina uh, in the final and lost uh, by the same score. It was a 0-1 to one loss, uh, and Argentina took their first title uh, actually in several years. Yeah, since 1994, I think it was. Uh, so a big win for Argentina. So that actually brings both Brazil and Argentina uh, coming into this World Cup uh, in pretty good form. Yeah, and Brazil's 2002 win was the last time a tournament had been won by a non-European team. So it's coming up 20 years. Um, so the South Americans will be looking to fix that. Yeah, and uh, a bit more easily done outside of Europe, which makes me very excited about this tournament. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Brazil have uh, played a couple of friendlies in June. And again, they were supposed to play that qualifier against uh, Argentina uh, in September, but that uh, got cancelled and they have a couple of other friendlies uh, uh, lined up. Do you want to talk us through that one? Yeah. So in June, Brazil went on a, on a tour of uh, East Asia. They won 5-1 in South Korea and won nothing in Japan. And they have a couple of friendlies lined up for September, uh, home games against Tunisia and Ghana, uh, perhaps with an eye on preparing for Cameroon. Uh, yeah, that Tunisia game is due to take place in France, and the location of the Ghana game has yet to be uh, decided. Yeah. All right, well, that brings us to the end of Brazil and on to our second team, uh, Switzerland. So I'll begin by giving an overview of their participation and achievements. Uh, Switzerland missed the first World Cup, uh, but participated consistently from the second cup in 1934 onwards. And the same is true of the European Cup, where they didn't enter the first edition in 1960, but have otherwise always taken part. In terms of achievements, Switzerland were regular attendees at the World Cup until around the time the Euro Cup began. They failed to reach both in a long slump from 1966 to 1994, but have reached both Cups fairly regularly since. In terms of success, they have done much better in the World Cup than in the Euro Cup, 
uh, having passed the group stage seven times in World Cup competition, uh, including four times since 1994, um, but never passing the group stage in the European Cup until 2016. Wow. All right. Well, we'll give an overview of their World Cup before the deep dive, um, kind of elaborating on what Connor just said. They were not a top team in the past, but they were a force to be reckoned with, reaching the quarterfinals in three of their first four World Cups. Uh, after 1954, though, they fell off, qualifying for a couple of cups until 1966, but losing all games that year and then disappearing from the world stage altogether for 30 years. Uh, they, they made an appearance in 1994, but then missed the next two cups after that. However, from 2006 onward, they not only qualified consistently, but passed the group stage every time except for 2010. All right, well, we'll jump into their World Cup finals in detail now, and uh, we'll cover this in four parts. So part one of four deals with the pre-war cups, 1930 to 1938. Uh, do you want to lead us off, Connor? Sure. So uh, Switzerland did not make the trip to Uruguay in 1930, but were in uh, Italy for the 1934 edition. They passed the first round with a 3-2 win over Netherlands, it was a loss, though, um, by the same score to Czechoslovakia in the quarterfinals. More famous than the team's performance was the infamy of Swiss, Swiss referee René Marseille. Italian leader Mussolini, anxious to prove the superiority of fascism, met privately with referees and pressured them. Uh, Marseille must have proved particularly malleable, as, a, uh, as the two games he officiated both featured Italy. His second was the quarterfinal replay of Italy and Spain, uh, which was a travesty of fairness. Uh, rather than recounting the many decisions that favored Italy, it is testament enough to note that he was banned from refereeing in his own country after that. Um, so the position he was put in might make an interesting movie. Uh, just to interrupt uh, the uh, corner, um, I just want to correct something I said in the Brazil uh, history. Uh, I made out 1938 to be kind of the cup of corruption uh, but it was actually 1934 Italy that, that is famous for being kind of corrupt. Gotcha. Yeah, Italy won that tournament, which they hosted. Yeah. Um, in 1938, the cup was in France. Uh, Switzerland faced a proud Nazi Germany, uh, so anxious to show their superiority that they had reinforced their team with the best of Austria's players. Uh, the game ended 1-1 and extra time did not resolve it, so a replay was required. Germany went up 2-0, but Switzerland scored four unanswered goals and knocked out the Germans in a shocking humiliation. Uh, Andre uh, Abeglen, who scored the last two of the goals of the match, uh, actually died during the war uh, that was to come at just 35 years of age. Hmm. Kind of an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to find out the details of that. All right. Well, part two deals with 1950 to 1966. So 1950 Brazil found Switzerland in the cup once again. Uh, they lost their opener 1-4 to Yugoslavia. Uh, they faced host Brazil next and earned a tie on a late goal at 88 minutes. A 2-1 win over Mexico in the third game, however, only earned them third spot. Uh, Brazil in first place was the only team to advance there. Uh, Switzerland themselves hosted in 1954, and that cup is a bit famous for having an odd format, 
Though teams were in groups of four, they only played two of the other teams. So the Swiss opened with a win over Italy. Uh, eventual team top scorer Joseph uh, Huey scored the winner at 88. Switzerland lost 0-2 to England in their second, and they didn't play Belgium, the other team in the group. Uh, they finished tied with Italy on points and goal difference. Uh, sorry, they finished tied with Italy on points, and goal difference was not a discriminating factor at this time. So resolution had to come through a playoff match. Huey scored twice as the hosts earned a 4-1 victory over Italy, two late goals emphasizing the win. That brought them to the quarterfinals, which saw the highest scoring match in World Cup history. It was 26 to 18. Okay, it wasn't. It was, uh, it was a 5-7 loss to Austria, made more intriguing by the fact that Switzerland was up 3-0 just 19 minutes in. In an utter goal fest of the first half, it was 5-3 for Austria by just 34 minutes, with five goals having been scored in the space of nine minutes. Both Huey and Austria's Theodore Wagner uh, having both scored hat-tricks. Only three players scored Switzerland's 11 goals, Huey with six and Robert Ballermann with four, but Hungary's Sandor Coxis uh, took the golden boot with 11 goals. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, Switzerland failed to make Sweden 1958, uh, earning only a single draw in qualifying, but they did reach Chile 1962 through a playoff. There they lost all three games in a very tough group, featuring host Chile, defending champions West Germany, and the always tough Italy. In 1966, England, it was three losses again, starting with a 0-5 thrashing at the hands of West Germany. Uh, losses to Spain and uh, Argentina followed for an inglorious exit. All right, so two consecutive cups without a win there, um, but it only got worse after that as Switzerland failed to qualify for the next 28 years. Uh, 1994 was a solid qualification, especially after a, a, a fourth of a five-place finish in their 1990 qualification group. Their tournament started against host USA, a 1-1 draw uh, with both goal, goal scored shortly before halftime. A 4-1 win over Romania followed, especially impressive given that Romania won the group and were a very strong team. They lost to Colombia in the third match, but finished second to reach the round of 16. Uh, where they lost 0-3 to Spain. Two more non-qualifications followed, but 2006 saw them back in the cup. A scoreless draw with France was followed by 2-0 wins over Togo and South Korea. Um, the second goal against the Asian was actually a controversial one. But they finished first in the group uh, with no goals against and went on uh, to a scoreless draw with Ukraine, uh, easily the dullest game of the cup. Uh, even the penalty shootout struggled for goals, as Ukraine missed their first and Switzerland all three of theirs. Uh, Switzerland became the only team to exit a tournament without conceding a goal. Um, and actually, this would lead to another record in the next cup, which we'll talk about shortly. Oh, wow. Okay, well, part four of four deals with 2010 to 2014. And uh, 2010 South Africa started with a win over eventual champion Spain. Game two proved the roughest game of the cup with six yellow cards to Chile and three to the Swiss. 
However, the card that mattered the most was a red card to Switzerland at 31. The 10 men, though, kept it scoreless into the second half and actually achieved a record at the 68th minute by keeping the longest World Cup clean sheet run uh, at 559 minutes. Any idea how many games that would be, Connor? That's, uh, I guess, a minute shy of 10 hours. Um, so, yeah, be quite a few games. Seven or eight games, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as an aside, this is a, a fact that you found, actually. Uh, they have all, they uh, also have another record of the most consecutive matches conceding at least one goal. So 22 games between 1934 and 1994. Isn't that funny? Kind of the, the worst and the best defensive records. Yeah, that is hilarious. <laughs> Chile ended that run seven minutes later. Uh, into that game uh, with the only goal of the game at the se- at 75. Still, a win over Honduras in the third game by a two-goal margin would see them through. However, they barely mustered an attack and uh, the game... Uh, sorry, yes, they barely mustered an attack and the game with Honduras ended scoreless, uh, uh, causing Switzerland an early exit from the cup. Uh, 2014 in Brazil was their third straight cup and it started well with a win over uh, over Ecuador, an excellent counterattack earning the win in injury time. In their, in their next match, the normally defense-minded Swiss seemed thrown off balance when a defender suffered what seemed a serious facial injury just nine minutes in and was subbed out. France scored at 17 and then again at 18 and went on to score five straight goals by 73. Switzerland saved some face with two late goals, and France actually scored a sixth goal in injury time, but the referee unwittingly blew the final whistle whistle as it was headed for the net. A small blessing there for uh, Switzerland. Still, a win over Honduras in the third game would see them through. It seems that a... um, it seems that I just made a mistaken repetition of a line from the previous cup. But no, it was oddly the case here too. This time, Zerdan Shakiri made sure that they did not suffer the goalless draw that they had last time, which actually would have seen them through anyway. Uh, but Zerdan Shakiri scored a hat-trick. France and Switzerland advanced, just as in 2006. Switzerland faced Argentina in the round of 16, and it went scoreless in regular time and then in extra time but just as it looked as it would be going to penalties argentina pressed and scored just two minutes before the end of extra time in a desperate push for an equalizer switzerland came agonizingly close close uh, crashing a header off the post but um they ended up losing the game and exiting the tournament so we move on to the world cup 2018 which connor is going to cover uh, in a bit more detail. Yeah, so in terms of qualifying, Switzerland showed good consistency uh, actually in a, in a weak qualifying group. Um, it included Hungary, Latvia, Faroe Island, and Andorra. Um, but they exchanged home wins with Portugal, who they finished behind, uh, having been in first place all the way until the final game, um, which they lost to Portugal. Um, Hungary had actually come off a good qualification and run in Euro 2016, but proved weak here. Uh, losing even to Andorra. Um, Switzerland probably deserved to beat Northern Ireland in the UEFA playoff, uh, but the only goal of the two legs came on a questionable penalty for handball. 
Um, that was quite controversial. Um, at the tournament, um, they tied Brazil in their opener for a good result. Um, they also tied Costa Rica in their third match. And a win over Serbia, um, again, who they meet here, uh, saw them undefeated through to, uh, to the group stage in second place. There they met Sweden, uh, and that was a game that they lost 0-1. to one. So it was a round of 16 exit um, once again. All right. Well, on to 2022 World Cup qualifying. And uh, how did they do in qualification there, Connor? Uh, Switzerland tied Italy in both legs, and they tied Northern Ireland away, but they otherwise won all their games, actually proving more consistent than Italy and finishing first in the qualifying group ahead of them. Um, as we know, that condemned Italy to a, a, a playoff, which they eventually lost. Um, yeah, to miss their more. second World Cup in a row. Yeah, so uh, impressive for Switzerland, given that um, Italy were coming off their um, their Euro 2020 uh, title. Right, that's right. Oh, Euro, yeah, 2020 title. Wow. All right. Well, that brings us to a look at the Euro Cup and uh, his and the history of Switzerland, which we'll just overview here. Uh, Switzerland were just entering into their week years of the World Cup. Uh, their non-qualification string uh, in the World Cup when the Euro Cup began. So uh, just as they didn't qualify for the World Cup roughly for 30 years from the mid-60s to the 690s, so too did they miss all Euro Cups. They actually came close in 1972 and in all the Cups from 1984 onwards. So it stands to reason that when the Cup expanded from 8 to 16 teams in 1996, they qualified more regularly. Nevertheless, they still fell short in 2000 and in 2012 and didn't manage to pass the group stage until 2016 when the Cup further expanded to 24 teams um, and had 16 teams rather than eight passing the group stage. Thus, in 2016, they passed the group stage for the first time uh, this wasn't, though, just the result of the Cup expanding, but also an improvement in their form, as their World Cup record during that period shows. And we'll take a look at that form, because I believe it continued into 2020. Yeah, so in qualifying, they were bested by Denmark, but nevertheless finished ahead of them, uh, first in their qualifying group. Uh, the only other drop points was a draw uh, in third place, Ireland, uh, Georgia and Gibraltar being the other teams. So, um, yeah, first place in the group qualified them automatically for the Euros. And I should uh, mention that um, that draw they had with Denmark. Um, Denmark was down 0-3 to three with just six minutes remaining, but came back and tied um, a remarkable 3-3 uh, remarkable wow. draw there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it didn't harm the Swiss as they won their qualifying group. Mm -hmm. um, at the tournament, in the group stage, they tied Wales uh, in their opener and lost uh, heavily to Italy, but beat Turkey uh, to earn passage as a third-place finisher. Um, they met uh, France in the round of 16 in a remarkable game. Um, it was uh, a 3-3 draw. Um, actually, all seemed over when France uh, scored their third goal to make it 3-1, uh, 15 minutes from time. Uh, but Switzerland rallied and, and equalized in the 90th minute to force extra time. And they eventually won on penalties uh, when French star Kylian Mbappe missed uh, France's last shot. Wow. 
Uh, in the quarterfinals, uh, Switzerland took on Spain and took them to overtime despite having just 35% possession and a red card at 77 minutes. Um, but although the Spaniards just missed their first penalty, um, the Swiss missed all but their first. Uh, so uh, they went out in penalties uh, at the quarterfinals, um, having beaten France in penalties uh, previously. Right. Nevertheless, a pretty good finish there. Yeah, for sure. Very, very close to the semis. Just a couple spot kicks away. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see if they've been keeping up this uh, fairly consistent form in their uh, recent friendlies or their recent uh, matches. Do you want yeah, to talk so, us? Yeah. Yeah. In March of this year, um, they lost uh, a friendly in England and then tied it home to Kosovo. But then in June, they had four uh, UEFA Nations League A games. Um, they actually lost their first three to Czech Republic, Portugal, and Spain, uh, though they beat Portugal 1-0 at home in their most recent match. So um, they do risk relegation back to League B. Yeah, right. So they have uh, two games upcoming in September, uh, playing in Spain and then at home to Czech Republic. But uh, as you say, kind of... Uh, looking a bit risky there. And they've only scheduled one friendly, uh, pre-tournament friendly. That is against Ghana. And it's not in Switzerland, as it seems to be on the graphic there. It's in uh, Abu Dhabi in the in the UAE. So kind of climatizing themselves uh, mm -hmm. in preparation for the cup there. Uh, do you want to take us through their World Cup schedule? Yeah, so Switzerland start with Cameroon. They then play Brazil in their second match and finish um, their tournament or their group stage with Serbia. Right. Okay, and that brings us on to Serbia. Uh, and we will overview their participation and achievements here. Okay, so uh, their first international game as Serbia was in 2006, but uh, they're much older than that because they're the heart of the former, uh, former Yugoslavia with their 10 million people uh, making up about 40% of the pre-1992 Yugoslavia. And they continued under that name uh, when other parts of Yugoslavia broke off. So Croatia, Macedonia, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Slovenia broke away, but they continued playing under the name Yugoslavia FR or Federal Republic. Uh, they went until after the 2002 World Cup when uh, they further changed and became Serbia and Montenegro. And then after the 2006 World Cup, they separated from Montenegro and uh, ever since have just been Serbia. So according to FIFA, the records of the pre-1992 Yugoslav team uh, and the 1992 Federal Republic of Yugoslavia team um, uh, are all considered uh, Serbia's, uh, Serbia's legacy or heritage, I should say. Uh, the record of all those teams then is thus covered here. So uh, we look at Yugoslavia, they entered every World Cup, a record which only Brazil shares. Uh, Yugoslavia was disqualified in 1994, part of a US sanction decrying their role in the Slavic Wars. Uh, they participated, though, in 1998 and 2002. Uh, it was Serbia and Montenegro who participated in 2006 and Serbia from 2010. 
Uh, despite all the changes, Yugoslavia's and their legacy teams have missed only the one World Cup in uh, 1994. Yugoslavia also entered every Euro Cup competition until the breakup. They even qualified for the 1992 Euro Cup amidst the breakup. Playing in the tournament would have been awkward since they had qualified with Croatian players and uh, players from other countries that were no longer part of Yugoslavia. Um, but then they would be in the cup without them, so it wasn't logical for them to play. And the UN sanction banning their play actually resolved that problem. And they were further banned from the 1996 edition. So they participated as Yugoslavia FR in 2000, Serbia Montenegro in 2004, and Serbia from 2008. So pretty complicated uh, participation there. Yeah. In terms of success, um, Yugoslavia had a fearsome though intermittent reputation. Uh, they did particularly well in the early years. In the World Cup, they reached the quarterfinals five times and the semifinals twice, wow. including the first World Cup in 1930. They took second place in two of the first three Euro Cups uh, in the 1960s. Despite strong showings in the 1976 Euro and 1990 World Cup, however, uh, they were less of a force from the 70s on. Uh, Yugoslavia FR's round of 16 finish in 1998, the best World Cup result uh, among any of their uh, post-breakup names. Uh, and their 2000 quarterfinal finished their best Euro Cup result. All right. Well, we will uh, take a closer look at the World Cup, beginning with just an overview. Uh, so uh, intermittently strong, it really is the best way to describe Yugoslavia's history. After their semi-final finish in the 1930 World Cup, they didn't qualify for any of the other pre-war cups. They returned in 1950 with a group stage finish uh, but had a strong period over the next three cups, passing the group stage every time and finishing fourth in 1962. It was sporadic success after that, failing to qualify three times but passing the group stage twice. That included 1990, just before the breakup. They did so as Yugoslavia FR in 1998 by doing... By that, I mean they passed the group stage. Uh, but that is the best they've achieved. Serbia and Montenegro and Serbia, uh, their best uh, qualification was a group stage exit. All right, so we have divided the uh, deep dive into five parts. And part one of five deals with 1930 to 50. And so they were one of only four European teams willing to brave the voyage to Uruguay for the first World Cup in 1930. They emerged the most successful European entry. Indeed, they were the only one to pass the group stage, and they did so impressively by beating Brazil and Bolivia. That began an ongoing rivalry with, with Brazil, uh, who they would meet in future Cups. That brought them to the semi-final stage where they were crushed by host Uruguay. They actually opened the scoring just four minutes in, but Jose Pedracia led Uruguay's comeback with a hat-trick, though the actual details are uh, under dispute a bit. Uh, also unclear is whether there was a third-place match in the 1930 World Cup with USA. In the official record, there is none, but there are reports of Yugoslavia winning the game 3-1. 
despite that success in 1930, they've uh, failed to qualify in 1934 and 1938, but they returned to the Cup in 1950 uh, Brazil. Their opening game was with Switzerland, a match that went scoreless until 59 when they scored the first of three goals for a 3-0 win. Mexico was more convincing with a 4-1 win and Mexico's only goal coming in the dying minutes. They faced Brazil in the third match and the host scored at 4-89 to snatch first place, which unfortunately for Yugoslavia was the only advancing spot. 1954 Switzerland started with a 1-0 win over France, uh, meeting Brazil for their third cup in a row when they had met them in every cup, each knocking the other out once. This time they played to a 1-1 draw even after extra time and both advanced. Uh, Yugoslavia did not play Mexico, who were the fourth team in the group. Bearing uncanny resemblance to the last game of the previous cup that had knocked them out, the quarterfinal against West Germany saw them score an own goal at four minutes and give up a late goal at 85. In 1950, Brazil had one on goals at four and 89, so very similar. Mm. 1958, Sweden saw them undefeated in the group stage. A 1-1 draw with Scotland was followed by an exciting 3-2 win over France. Yugoslavia took the lead three times in their third match with Paraguay, but each time the South Americans equalized uh, at, 90th, at the 90th minute in the last case for a 3-3 draw. Yugoslavia would have advanced in first uh, with the win and would have faced Northern Ireland rather than defending champions West Germany, uh, just as a previous cup. Uh, Helmut Rand had scored the second goal to knock Yugoslavia out then and scored the only goal of the game to do the same here. The cup was in Chile in 1962 and it started with the loss to USSR. Game two saw them exact revenge over Uruguay uh, for their 1-6 loss in 1930, uh, Yugoslavia winning 3-1 here. Game 3 was a 5-0 win over Colombia, and the group ended with the two European teams, uh, them and the USSR, uh, knocking out the two South American teams on their home continent. For the third time in a row, they faced West Germany in the quarterfinal. This time they finally won, uh, Croatian Peter Rad uh, Radakovic getting the only goal of the game, a glorious winner five minutes from time. The semi-final saw a loss to Czechoslovakia. Yugoslavia was left with a third-place match where they lost to Chile, uh, the tournament host getting the only goal of the game at 90th, in the 90th minute. All right. Well, part three of five deals with 1966 to 1990. Uh, actually, Yugoslavia didn't qualify for the next two cups, but they did return to Germany in 1974. They met Brazil once again, playing to a goalless draw. Yugoslavia was perhaps prescient in their 9-0 win over Zaire in Game 2 for reasons that will be explained uh, soon. Um, it was 3-0 even before Zaire got a red card at 22, but 6-0 at halftime, and the final result tied as the biggest margin of victory in a World Cup, equaling Hungary's 9-0 win over South Korea. The third match with Scotland was scoreless until 81 when Yugoslavia scored. Scotland got one back though at 88 to tie. And this resulted in a three-way tie for top spot. Uh, the tie-breaking criterion coming down to goal difference. And now we see why Yugoslavia's 9-0 win over Zaire 
was important because it took precedence over at uh, the score lines of the other teams and they advanced in first scotland were the unfortunate third place victims for the fourth time running yugoslavia met west germany in their first game after the group stage but this time it was in the second group stage the tournament host beat them uh, 0-2 and Yugoslavia went on to lose 1-2 to both Poland and Sweden to finish last in the group. Uh, Yugoslavia didn't qualify for Argentina in 1978, but an impressive qualification finishing ahead of Italy saw them uh, reach Spain 1982. A scoreless draw with Northern Ireland was followed by a loss to host Spain in the second match. A controversial penalty at 14 to equalize was not the only benefit Spain received from refereeing in the group stage. Yugoslavia eked out a win against Honduras with a late penalty award, but they had needed one more goal as they finished tied for second on points with the host, but also tied on goal difference. Spain's, uh, Spain's uh, goal scored uh, saw them through ahead of Yugoslavia. Failing to qualify in 1986, Yugoslavia made their next appearance in Italy 1990 in another impressive qualification that knocked out France. Uh, a 1-4 loss to Nemesis West Germany opened their tournament, but wins over Colombia and UAE saw them through in second place. They faced Spain in the round of 16 and exacted revenge, winning in extra time having been narrowly knocked out for them, uh, uh, knocked out by them at the group stage in 1982. The quarterfinal with uh, Argentina, Argentina went scoreless and to penalties, despite a red card to Yugoslavia just 31 minutes in. The shootout was a, a real thriller with Stojkovic missing the first penalty and Maradona missing Argentina's third. In all, five penalties were missed, one off the crossbar and three of them saved, but Argentina came out ahead and won 3-2. Uh, so with part four, we begin with 1994, and the breakup of Yugoslavia left the team named Yugoslavia FR after 1992, but they were banned for the 1994 World Cup due to a UN sanction. They qualified for 1998 France and went undefeated through the group stage, beating Iran and USA and tying Germany. They finished behind on goal difference and went on to play Netherlands in the round of 16. Regular time looked as if it would end 1-1, but two minutes into injury time, uh, Netherlands scored a winner. In 2002, they failed to reach the cup, but in 2006, they reached it at Serbia and Montenegro. Uh, the group was kind of mislabeled a group of death, but it was tough enough. Uh, with Ivory Coast entering in good form. Serbia and Montenegro lost all three games, beginning with a 0-1 loss to Netherlands, um, and they were then humiliated by Argentina 0-6 in Game 2, uh, five different scores inflicting the damage. They went 2-0 up by 20 minutes on Ivory Coast in what was a battle for third place, but the Africans came back uh, and won with the late winner at 87. All right, and uh, part five of five just deals with 2010 to 2014. So in 2010 South Africa, they qualified uh, as Serbia this time, winning the qualification group over France. 
a ridiculous handball in the box gifted the opening game to Ghana as they scored the only goal on the resulting penalty at 85. Germany gifted them an advantage in game two, star striker Miroslav Klose getting a second yellow card just 37 minutes in, and uh, Serbia scored from open play just a minute later. They held on to that result for a 1-0 win, but in Game 3 they lost 1-2 to Australia, all goals coming after 69. A shame to beat group winners Germany and then get knocked out, but they finished last in the group. Uh, Serbia didn't reach the uh, Cup in 2014, but they did manage to do so in 2018, and Connor's going to take us through that one in more detail. Yeah, so Serbia had a strong qualification campaign in a group with no real pot one level team, uh, but several pot twos. Uh, They tied Ireland once and Wales twice and almost ruined their campaign with their only loss to an otherwise poorly performing Austria. Um, But consistency over Georgia and a weak Moldova saw them through in first place and automatic qualification. In the tournament, they won their opener over Costa Rica Uh, but lost to Switzerland, um, after which they complained with some justification about a penalty that wasn't given. Uh, A loss to Brazil in their final match left them third in the group stage. Um, They actually took nine yellow cards over the three games, so a bit of ill-discipline, but ultimately not enough to to go through. Right, and and an interesting point for you here, Connor. Uh, You you noted last time that Switzerland, Brazil, and Serbia... uh, are in this World Cup in the same group as they were in 2018. But as we were doing the history, I noticed that uh, in uh, 1950, uh, Brazil, Yugoslavia, and Switzerland were also in the same group. So this would make it the third time. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, Mexico was the other team that time. Costa Rica in 2018, and Cameroon uh, will be this time around. Kind of cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, uh, Connor's also going to take us through their World Cup qualifying campaign for 2022. Um, so, yeah, Serbia had another commanding qualification, suffering only a home draw with Portugal and a draw in Ireland to once again finish first in their qualifying group uh, and achieve automatic qualification. Uh, interestingly, they beat Portugal away in the final game with a winner in the 90th minute to leapfrog them into first place. Wow. Um, so that was the goal that sent them to the World Cup, um, avoiding the playoff, which Portugal had to navigate, but um, Portugal did so successfully. So they're both here. Um, but, yeah, what drama. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, um, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good qualification there, but I didn't realize uh, it was just a last-minute winner. What drama. All right, well, we're going to take a look at their Euro Cup history uh, just uh, as an overview here. So, um, uh, oops, I'm on the the wrong page. Um, Okay, so the early years of the Euro Cup illustrate how hot and cold Yugoslavia was. Their best years by far were second place in the first edition in 1960 and the same result in 1968. Uh, That good period ended with a fourth-place finish in 1976. However, the years in between those successes, 1964 and 1972, they failed to even qualify. 
Though they never reach those heights again, they continue to qualify for every second cup. This included 1992, where they awkwardly earned the qualification as the old Yugoslavia, but had broken up as a country by the time the uh, tournament came around. So as we've said before, the UN sanction prevented them from, from competing in tournaments, and uh, that solved uh, UEFA's difficult uh, uh, problem there. And interestingly, the solution, uh, uh, the solution by UEFA to replace them in the 1992 UEFA or Euro Cup uh, was to invite Denmark back, who had finished behind them in qualifying. And do you remember what happened there, Connor? Yeah, Denmark, they won it. They won the whole thing. They did, uh, uh, absolutely taking Europe by surprise there. Uh, Yugoslavia FR was also banned in 1996, but they qualified in 2000 and reached the quarterfinal. That was the last appearance, though, as neither Serbia and Montenegro nor Serbia alone uh, succeeded in qualifying from 2004 onwards. Okay, well, we're going to look at uh, Euro 2020 and uh, their campaign there. Yeah, so their campaign started well with an away draw in Portugal, uh, but ended up being bested by both them and Ukraine, uh, dropping points to both of them at home to finish in third place above just Luxembourg and Lithuania. Uh, their Nations League performance earned them kind of a backdoor uh, place in the playoffs, uh, where they beat Norway in extra time in the semifinals. Um, however, um, a late equaliser against Scotland in the final was not enough as they missed their last shot of the penalty shootout, um, losing 4-5 in the penalty shootouts, um, which cost them qualification. So, um, yeah, so they were not at Euros. And, and interestingly, as, as you said, they've never been at the Euros as Serbia and Montenegro or Serbia, uh, despite um, you know, qualifying impressively uh, for some World Cups in that time. Right, and despite the uh, Euro Cup expanding to um, 24 teams from 2016 yeah. onwards, they should definitely be there. Yeah. All right, well, we'll take a look at their recent and uh, upcoming games. Uh, they've played a bunch of friendlies, kind of interestingly, with uh, teams like Dominican Republic and Panama, but those were uh, in the middle of last year and may not be that relevant. So you just pick it up uh, where you feel... Uh, it's relevant, Connor. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with the ones in this year, in 2022. Uh, they had an impressive 1-0 win in Hungary, um, but then lost 0-3 to Denmark uh, away. Um, and then, um, like all European teams, they had a, a slew of Nation League games uh, in June. Uh, they started with the home loss to Norway, but then beat Slovenia, uh, won in Sweden, and then tied Slovenia again. So they're... Um, Kind of in okay shape there with two wins, a draw, and a loss after four games. Mm -hmm. Right, and they have scheduled one pre-tournament friendly. They and other teams may be scheduling more, which we'll include in the uh, update podcast. Um, and that uh, game is scheduled for uh, November 18th in Bahrain, and it's being played in Bahrain. So again, uh, trying to acclimatize them to the to the desert conditions, hey? Mm -hmm. Did you mention that that was UEFA League uh, B? Um, if I may have, but um, yeah, we can confirm it now. They're, they're in kind of the second tier of the Nation League. That's right, and they're the only team in the World Cup that's uh, actually not in the 
uh, Nations League A. So, oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll finish just by looking at their World Cup schedule. Yeah, um, Serbia start with Brazil, the, the world number one. Then they play Cameroon in a key match, and then Switzerland in their final game. All right. Well, we'll maybe talk about the significance of that uh, later on. But uh, it brings us to our last team, which is uh, Cameroon. And we'll start with an overview of their participation and achievements. So Cameroon's first international game was in 1956. And um, uh, they entered World Cup qualification in 1970 and have participated consistently since. They've also been very consistent in African Cup uh, participation, first entering in 1968 and never failing to appear since then. In terms of achievement, they have reached the World Cup seven times. Their best performance was in 1990 when they reached the quarterfinals. Regionally, they are one of the strongest teams in Africa, uh, having won the African Cup uh, five times, um, including twice in a row in 2000 and 2002. All right. Well, we will take a look at the World Cup history at first in uh, overview. So uh, they surprised by reaching the, the World Cup in 1982 because they hadn't come close before that and, in fact, had been a fairly weak team. In their three campaigns prior to 1982, they'd been knocked out in early rounds, but that year they passed uh, several rounds to reach the Cup. They performed respectably once there, but only well enough for third place in the group stage. They failed to qualify in 1986, but from 1990 to 2014, they qualified for all but one cups. In 2006, they lost a tough battle to Ivory Coast. However, in their five successful qualifications since 1990, they have never again passed the group stage. So their World Cup is a little bit shorter, uh, so we've divided it into two parts. Uh, part one of two, 1982 to 1994. Take it away, Connor. So Cameroon's first World Cup was in Spain, 1982, and was, as mentioned, a respectable performance. It featured draws against three teams at peaks in their career. Uh, Peru does not often reach the World Cup, but had passed the group stage in two of the previous Cups. Cameroon went scoreless with them. Uh, Poland had passed the group stage of the last two World Cups also, and would finish third in this one. It also went scoreless with them. Italy had finished fourth in the previous edition and would win this tournament. Uh, they scored at 60 minutes, but Cameroon equalized a minute later. Uh, Cameroon's three draws uh, left them third in the group, um, ahead of Peru, but unfortunately short of advancement. They next qualified for 1990 Italy. In their opener, they stunned defending champions Argentina 1-0 in the opening game. Um, the only goal came at 67 minutes, and they would be the only team to beat the South Americans until uh, Argentina lost to West Germany in the final. Game two for Cameroon was a win over Romania. That game went scoreless until the 69th minute, when 38-year-old substitute Roger Milla scored the first of his two goals. Uh, Romania got one back two minutes from time to make it a tense finish, but Cameroon held on to win. Uh, Cameroon were guaranteed passage, but fielded their A-team for Game 3, where they lost 0-4 to USSR. Uh, Colombia, who they faced in the round of 16, was also a surprise team of this cup. Regular time went scoreless, but extra time was thrilling. 
uh, Roger Milla, again a substitute, scored two in uh, quick succession uh, just after the halftime of extra time. Uh, Colombia pulled one back at 115 but couldn't recover, and Cameroon advanced to play England in the quarterfinal. Uh, England led 1-0 for most of the game, um, and then Cameroon uh, earned a penalty at 61 minutes, uh, which they converted, and they scored again shortly after to go up 2-1. It looked promising until 83 minutes when England was awarded a penalty themselves. Uh, it went to uh, extra time, and at the 105th minute, England was awarded another penalty, which turned out to be the game winner, uh, ending the dream run of Cameroon. In 1994, Cameroon managed only a draw in their opener with Sweden. A red card to a key Cameroon defender, Rigobert Song, at 63 minutes, uh, when the score was 0-1 against Brazil in Game 2, uh, had devastating effects in this and the next game for the African team. They lost to Brazil 0-3, uh, but really felt uh, Song's loss against Russia uh, in their final game, which was a 1-6 thrashing. Uh, the game is... Uh, that game actually featured two World Cup records. Cameroon's Roger Milla becomes the oldest player ever to score a World Cup goal, and Russia's Oleg Selenko becomes the only, only player to score five goals in one match. Interesting. All right, well, part two deals with 1998 to 2014. So 1998 in France also started with a draw. Cameroon had to settle for a point when Austria equalized in injury time. A red card at 42 against Italy contributed to a 0-3 loss. In Game 3 against Chile, a red card to Rigobert Song, uh, who is their manager, by the way, Connor. Oh. No. A red card to Rigobert Song, so he got two red cards in the World Cups. Uh, at 53 here, um, whose red card in the previous tournament had cost them dearly, did not actually affect them here. In fact, they scored their equaliser three minutes later and held on to the, draw, to the draw despite that red card and another at 88. But two points saw them finish last and they were once again out at the group stage. As in every previous cup, they opened 2002 South Korea and Japan, earning points, usually with a draw. This was no different as they tied 1-1 with Ireland. Game 2 was a 1-0 win over Saudi Arabia, Samuel Eto'o scoring at 66. A 0-2 loss to Germany in the second half left them with four points. Not enough as Ireland finished in second place with five points. They didn't reach the cup in 2006 and might have wished they hadn't when 2010 came around. No opening draw here as they lost all three games to Japan, Denmark and the Netherlands, uh, Samuel Eto'o scoring their only two goals of the tournament. Well, they had finished second last in 2010, that was 31st out of 32 teams, but managed an even worse showing in 2014. Mexico had two goals wrongly disallowed for offside, but still beat Cameroon 1-0 in the opener. In a dire Game 2 performance that was later investigated actually for match-fixing, Cameroon lost 0-4. At 40 minutes, Alexander Song, nephew of Rigobert Song, continued the family tradition of red cards when he gave an inexplicable and actually comically awkward elbow to the back of an opponent 
which seemed more suspicious, uh, actually, than the match-fixing allegations which followed. Uh, regardless, Cameroon's troubles, which had begun with refusing to board a plane to Brazil until promised bonuses were paid, uh, continued, and they lost four. Uh, they lost one four to uh, host Brazil. So they exit the, turn, uh, the tournament in disgrace again with three losses. Good Lord, let's see if they did any better in uh, 2018. Um, yeah, in 2018, um, they received a buy in the in the preliminary round, so entered in round two, um, where they uh, they won a playoff against Niger um, or Niger, and then in a, a difficult group stage. They were paid with, paired with Algeria, um, Zambia, and Nigeria. Um, however, they only won one of those matches, um, tying four and losing one. So they finished third in the group and didn't advance to the World Cup. Uh, Nigeria were the ultimate group winners. Uh, that's right. So no luck in 2008 and possibly just as well, given how the previous two cups had gone. Uh, but let's see how their qualifying went for this tournament. Obviously, they made it this time. Yeah, so they entered in round two, which this time was a group stage. Um, and they uh, they suffered a loss in Ivory Coast, so a very difficult opponent there. Um, but they otherwise won all their games, showing more consistency than the Ivorians um, against Mozambique and Malawi to finish first uh, in the group stage. Um, that set them up with a playoff. Um, they lost the home leg of that playoff to Algeria, um, 1-0, but won uh, by the same scoreline in the second leg. Um, yeah, both wins there were on the road, which is kind of unusual. Mm -hmm. The matter went to extra time where they seemed to have lost when Algeria scored at 118 minutes. But a goal at 120 plus four uh, snatched the advancing spot um, by dint of giving them more away goals. Um, so... That is how they uh, they got uh, to Qatar. That is incredible. Um, all right. Well, um, we'll follow that up with a look at the African Cup history. Uh, just an overview here. So uh, the African Cup record goes up and down, kind of like long rolling waves. They joined the African Cup in 1968 and moved quickly from not qualifying to a group stage finish to a third place finish in 1972. That result was aided by hosting and um, uh, the period proved, or, or the period went to a low in the wave when they failed to qualify for the next four editions. However, they rose up in the mid to late 80s, winning two African Cups and finishing second in the other. The early 90s sank as low as not qualifying in 1994, but rose again to better performances, cresting with back-to-back -back titles in 2000 and 2002. The good form actually continuing by passing the group stage every time until taking second place in 2008. However, 2012 to 15 saw a trough, failing to qualify twice and failing at the group stage the other time. But they recovered abruptly with an African Cup win in 2017, the wave rolling high by passing the group stage uh, every time since. 
Okay, and uh, I kind of gave it away there, but uh, <laughs> Connor will take a closer look at the African Cups 2019 and 21. Yeah, so qualification initially amounted for friendly games because Cameroon was slated to host, but they actually became more meaningful when hosting rights were taken away um, in March 2019 due to political tensions in the country. Uh, they won all their home games but went winless on the road. Uh, losing to first place Morocco and tying both Malawi and Comoros. Um, but they finished second in the qualifying group, and that was enough to advance to the Cup. There they beat Guinea-Bissau in their opener, but it was a goalless, goalless draws with Ghana and Benin for second place in the group stage. That set up a match with Nigeria in the round of 16, uh, which they lost 3-2 for a disappointingly early exit. All right, let's see if they did any better in 2021, which they actually did host. That's right. Yeah, they did host, but they, they again went through qualification uh, and actually finished first in the qualifying group, um, despite being bested by Cape Verde. Um, as tournament hosts, um, they beat Burkina Faso and Ethiopia in their first two matches. And then Cape Verde proved difficult again. Um, they tied in their third match, but it was enough to finish first in the group stage. Cameroon beat a COVID's rabid Comoros and then the surprisingly successful Gambia to reach the semi-final uh, where they lost in a goalless draw on penalties to Egypt. Um, in the third place match, they were down 0-3 at 49 minutes against Burkina Faso, but rallied back to score two late goals at 85 and 87. Um, that was to tie the match and then one on penalties to take third place uh, as hosts. Wow, great. And that was their B team. At least they started with their B team in uh, Game 7 there. But I think they subbed in some of their top players uh, when they when they were down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Vincent Abubakar, who was the, the star of the tournament, I think he scored a couple of those goals. Right. Uh, okay. Okay, well, we'll finish with their recent history, uh, recent and upcoming games. So uh, a couple of those have been uh, cancelled. Uh, oh, oh, okay, no, a couple of those were African National Championship games, and uh, those were, um, those are just played, uh, local players have to play those games, so it's uh, none of their, kind of their A team, so I kind of, uh, we can ignore those ones. Yeah, so their, their games, um, the next team they have to play are um, African Cup 2023 qualifiers, Um and it, uh, their their first game, they um, won on the road in Burundi, then had a game uh, cancelled against Kenya. Uh, so they've only played one, um, and they have matches uh, home and away against Equatorial Guinea uh, coming up. Um, yeah, it's, uh, end of August, early September. Yeah, I'll just check whether those games uh, are actually being played, because a lot of the friendlies, uh, pre-tournament friendlies, are... Uh, being played uh, somewhere other than their hometown. And, and actually, uh, it's a, a kind of a mini tournament because they have um, uh, Uzbekistan. Did, um, yeah, no, I don't have it on here. So these must have just been announced. They have uh, a little friendly tournament uh, at the end of September where they play Uzbekistan and South Korea. Uh, both of those games taking place uh, in South Korea. So a little mini tournament uh, there. But uh, as of yet, no pre-tournament friendlies. All right. 
Well, they will begin their World Cup schedule uh, playing Switzerland. Uh, they play Serbia next and finish with Brazil. All right. Um, well, I'm sure they'll be hoping that uh, Brazil wins their first two games and uh, makes it a bit easier for them in the third game there. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings us to part three, and we're going to start part three uh, with a summary uh, of the team and a look at their form coming into the cup. So let's begin with uh, Brazil. And uh, another singular accomplishment uh, is that they are the only non-European team to win in Europe, uh, a World Cup in Europe, which they did in 1958. But it's actually the inverse that's perhaps more significant in that they have won four of their uh, five titles when the World Cup was played outside of Europe. They can't be described as having a weak period because success or failure does not correlate well between uh, the global and the regional competitions of Brazil. For example, their strongest global period, 1958 to 1970, was part of their weakest regional period. It can be argued, though, that the current period is uh, really their first weak period. Following their 2007 Copa America win, their performances had been relatively poor. They placed high hopes on hosting in 2014 to pull them out of that. But as we saw uh, in the long history, that ended in humiliation. It was followed by a quarterfinal finish in the 2015 Copa America and a group stage knockout in the 2016 uh, Centenario edition, which included teams from Central and North America. A quarterfinal finish in the 2018 World Cup would be good for most countries, uh, but that finish uh, in three out of four uh, cups since their last title in 2002 could be defined as a slump for uh, a country of which it is said the English invented the game, but the Brazilians perfected it. Yeah, Brazil's lack of a title or even a top three finish since 2002 is a slump. Uh, whether the 2004 and seven Copa America wins uh, means a slump started later, or whether fourth place at home in 2014 means it isn't a slump, or whether the recent 2019 Copa America title meant, uh, title means a slump is over, um, Brazilians won't have it. 20 years without a World Cup title for them is a slump. Uh, the strong 2018 World Cup qualification and the even stronger one in 2022 gives them hope. The Copa America title in 2019 and a solid second place finish in 2021 also gives them hope. But all hope is aimed at winning another title. A semi-final finish or even second place would satisfy most teams, but for Brazil, it would likely feel like failure uh, or at best a positive step in the hope of a World Cup title next time around. All right, well, that is Brazil. And uh, we move on to, uh, our, uh, to Switzerland. Switzerland was not a top team in the early years, but was a respectably strong team Quarterfinal finishes in three of four World Cups from 1934 to 54 is impressive, but is as much a result of the small pool of teams in the early years as it is a testament to their strength. Certainly, though, they were stronger than the years that followed. And from 1958 onwards, they dwindled in strength to the point of not uh, reaching either the World Cup or the Euro Cup. 
that they started qualifying again in the 19s uh, is partly a result of each cup expanding. But at least in the World Cup, passing the group stage in 1994 and regularly from 2006 onward is a result of an improvement in form, even though it took until 2016 to find that form in the Euro Cup. Now, at the risk of sounding cynical, uh, good fortune in their groupings uh, does play a role in their success, perhaps uh, inflating their record a little bit. Uh, they were often paired with France, who are one of the least consistent of the top teams in Europe and a team that they often tie. Uh, Greece and Latvia were the main competition in 2010, Iceland and Slovenia in 2014. Uh, Portugal and Hungary, uh, a Hungary who lost to Andorra uh, with, their, with their group members in 2018. And in 2012, they failed to qualify behind Montenegro. They've also enjoyed easy grouping in the tournaments where they passed the group stage with South Korea and Togo in 2006, Honduras in 2014, and Albania and Romania in 2016. Uh, do you agree with that assessment, Connor? And what do you think of their grouping here? Um, yeah, I in, in general, I do agree with it. And I think we've seen with some teams, you mentioned Greece, they were another ones where they kind of do well in a tournament and then they are, I mean, Switzerland have actually been a part one seeded team at times, um, which kind of gives them a, a favorable group, which they win, which kind of reinforces their top one seeding and so on. So they have benefited from that. Um, but I think for Switzerland to, to give them a lot of credit, they, they've been consistent. Um, you know, they managed to, um, you know, ha they've, they've had groups where maybe they would be expected to win, but they've done that. Um, they've got out of the group. So, um, yeah, a bit of fortune, but um, I think they've uh, they've also come into their own as a, and they're kind of known as a, as a tough, consistent right. team. Well, uh, let's take a look at their form coming into this cup. Yeah, so I think given those easy groupings in recent years, their true strength seems to await kind of rigorous testing against top teams. Um, apart from beating Spain in the opening game of the 2010 World Cup, uh, a team that went on to win it, uh, they generally lost or at best tied when faced with top teams. More recently, though, they have become a bigger threat to the top teams, uh, beating France in the round of 16 in Euro 2020, finishing ahead of Italy in World Cup 2022 qualifying, and beating Portugal in the 2022-23 Nations League. Uh, greater consistency against second-tier teams of their own strength also suggests some improvement in form in recent years. And I think that kind of summarizes Switzerland as a team that's kind of the best of the Tier 2 teams or among the weaker of the Tier 1 teams, kind of whichever way you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we'll maybe talk a bit more about that uh, in the discussion later, but let's continue on with the summaries and form. Uh, looking at Serbia, so the historical Yugoslavia has undergone political changes and its legacy carries down to Serbia, having played under the names of Yugoslavia FR and Serbia and Montenegro in between. It is sad that political upheavals in the early to mid-90s caused them to miss cups through UN-sanctioned bans. Uh, but for that, they could boast being the only team to never miss a World Cup or Regional Cup campaign. Their consistency in participating is juxtaposed, that's a big word, hey, juxtaposed by their inconsistency of their results. 
Their success is impressive, especially in the early years of each cup. Two top two top four finishes in World Cups to 1962, and three top four finishes to Euro Cups to 1976. But in both, they failed to qualify for several cups uh, in between those successes. After the bans of the early 90s, Yugoslavia FR returned strong, passing the group stage of the 1998 World Cup and the 2000 Euro Cup. Through the changes from Yugoslavia FR to Serbia and Montenegro to just Serbia, they quite admirably kept up their World Cup record, at least qualifying for the majority of them, even if they didn't pass the group stage. Not so, though, with the Euro Cup, where 2000 marks their last appearance. After failing to qualify for the 2014 World Cup for the first time since 2002, Serbia returned um, in 2018. They were knocked out at the group stage as they had been throughout this millennium, and that was in contrast to the past where they usually pass the group stage at the tournaments they reach. But the group stage is better than not reaching the cup at all, and they haven't reached the Euro Cup as Serbia. 2020 was closer than previous editions though, reaching the final step of the playoffs before being knocked out by Scotland. Um, They are the only European team in the 2022 World Cup that is not from UEFA Nations League A, as Kevin mentioned, but they have been competitive with their League B teams, Norway, Sweden, and Slovenia, are currently standing second in the group. All right, and the last team is uh, Cameroon. So if we see their uh, African Cup record as slow rolling waves, we have to say that they did not match well with their World Cup uh, record. Uh, The first World Cup qualification in 1982 came before the high wave of the mid uh, mid 80s, where they won two African Cup titles, but didn't reach the World Cup. And their best performance of reaching the 1990 World Cup quarterfinals was actually a lull in their African Cup period. Their back-to-back African Cup titles in 2000 and 2002 came during a period where they were qualifying for the World Cup, but not passing the group stage. A low period of not reaching the World Cup in 2006 was followed by the high of a second-place finish in the 2008 African Cup. And a poor period in the African Cup from 2012 to 2017 was during a period where they were reaching the World Cup, even though their uh, performances were very poor there. Finally, their surprise African Cup title in 2017 compares with a non-qualification in the World Cup in 2018, only their second non-appearance at the World Cup in the new millennium. The extended wave metaphor for the African Cup continues with the tide remaining fairly high since their surprise win in 2017. A round of 16 finish in 2019 is not great, but it is at least passing the group stage. And third place is less than they hoped for as hosts in 2021, but it is a good finish. The general mismatch with World Cup results continues in failing to reach the World Cup in 2018, but the general pattern of doing so resumed in 2022. They will hope the performances in the Cup will be better than their second, last, and last place finishes in 2010 and 2014, respectively, uh, to say nothing of the ugliness of team turmoil and match-fixing allegations, which they have hopefully overcome. All right, well, that's a summary of the four teams, and now we're going to take a look at their uh, uh, rankings. All right, Uh, well, 
Yeah. I'll begin with Brazil. They were ranked number one at the time of the draw um, and are still ranked number one by both FIFA and ELO. Um, in fact, Brazil have been ranked in the top three in both systems since um, December 2016 and have actually spent a lot of their history uh, as the world number one. Oh, you're on mute there, Kevin. Right. Uh, okay. In June 2013, they, they dropped as low as 22nd in FIFA rankings. But uh, we've said several times we have a bit of a problem with FIFA rankings. Uh, and they were they were third. They remained third in ELO rankings. So uh, I'd have to say they've, they've pretty much never really been out of the top, top say, eight teams in the world. What do you think? Yeah, the, the FIFA rankings are a bit... Um reactive so that was probably in reaction to some poor results but yeah i mean i think people people hear brazil and they know what know what to expect um yeah consistently among the top teams yeah, in the that's world that's right okay uh, how about switzerland uh switzerland are currently 16th in fifa and 14th in elo and that kind of spot in the teens is kind of their, their typical spot in both systems at least in uh in recent years um, they were as high as sixth in FIFA in June 2018, but their current of kind of 16th is probably more along their average. Right, and uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a period of being in the 20s from uh, say around 2010 to 15, uh, but even that's respectable enough. They've always been up there. Yeah. Serbia are 25th in FIFA and 19th in ELO. Um, so not actually all that far behind Switzerland. Um, and they've, uh, it kind of represents a recent rise. They were in the, in the 40s in, in FIFA and 30s in ELO um, in December 2016. And they've kind of risen steadily there since. Um, and 19th in ELO is, uh, is uh, Yeah, um, Yeah, the only uh, interesting, thing, or the main interesting thing there is a bit of a split between FIFA and ELO rankings. Which do you uh, find yourself agreeing with more? Um, I generally defer to the ELO rankings, but I, I do think 25th as opposed to 19th is perhaps a little bit more reflective of Serbia currently. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, finally, Cameroon. So Cameroon are 38th in FIFA and 55th in ELO. Um, there's a bit of a split there, again, just reflecting the Cameroon's recent African Cup where they finished third, which is good, um, and that's kind of given them a... a a rise in FIFA, whereas ELO is a bit more steady. Um, and the 50s and 60s is kind of where they've been um, for much of the last four or five years. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they did rise as high as uh, 20th in, in the first decade uh, of this millennium, but uh, definitely haven't come close to that uh, since then. Let's take a look at their head-to-head -head records. All right, well, we've alluded to the fact that some of the teams have met each other previous times. So we do have some good head-to-head -head results to compare. Um, Brazil versus Switzerland, they've actually met twice in World Cup group stages before and tied them both. Yeah, we, we saw 1950 and then uh, 2018. Um, uh, 2018 being most significant, uh, showing that uh, Switzerland can get a tie against uh, big oppositions. Yeah, Brazil versus um, Serbia. Um, this is just focusing on Serbia, I guess, and not not their Yugoslav history. That's um, right. they, 
Uh, they've met once, and that was also in the 2018 World Cup, a match which Brazil won 2-0. Uh, that's right, yeah. They've played Cameroon quite a bit. Yeah, Brazil have met Cameroon four times. Um, Brazil have won three, but Cameroon actually um, has one win in there themselves. Right, the most recent and relevant one was in 2014, where they met in the group stage of the World Cup and Brazil won 4-1. Yeah, and then Switzerland and Serbia also meeting in 2018 uh, World Cup group stage. That was won by the Swiss, and that's their, their only meeting as Serbia. Right, and uh, Switzerland and Cameroon have never met, nor have Serbia and Cameroon, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how they compare. Let's uh, take a look at the odds. Uh, we've put up the odds to uh, uh, qualify from the group. What I did here is actually take the numbers from three different odds makers and kind of average them out. Yeah, so Brazil has a 91.1% um, odds of, of making it out of the group stage. Um, Switzerland, the pot two team, is 476 and Serbia, the pot three team, is narrowly behind at 44.8. And then finally, Cameroon, the pot four team, are given just 18% chance of advancing from the group. All right. Well, maybe we'll start our discussion around uh, uh, whether we agree or disagree with those odds. But I do want to kind of look at the uh, uh, World Cup schedule here, Connor, which I'll, I'll just put onto the graphic that we have. And, uh, oh, um, uh, do you want to just talk us through the schedule and then we'll discuss uh, uh, any relevancies? Yeah, so um, I guess looking at kind of the rankings um, and, the, and the odds, the most significant games kind of are in the last round. Uh, Switzerland and Serbia are given similar odds and they meet each other in their final matchup. And then Cameroon play Brazil in their final match. We mentioned that could be significant if Brazil have already advanced and possibly play a weakened team um, against Cameroon, which could give them an advantage or, or more hope picking up points. Yeah, possibly so. But in the in the long history, we saw that Brazil uh, quite often wins all three games. So I can't imagine them fielding uh, really a team weak enough that Cameroon could beat. What do you think? Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, I think Brazil kind of famously can put out numerous strong teams. Um, you know, Brazil's B team is still better than than most countries in the yeah. world. So it might just be a chance to mix up some playing time, which could help them in the long run. But you're right. Yeah, um, and very... honestly, I think those B team players will be looking to perform uh, well enough that they'll be considered for a spot in the A team in, in the final rounds. Yeah. So as you say, those those uh, players will probably be better than most countries' A team. All right. Well, let's go back to the odds, and I'll let you start. Do you uh, do you see things this way? Well, I think Brazil's odds of ninety one percent are actually a bit low, um, as we saw in the long history in the post war era. They've only ever failed to pass a group stage once. That was in nineteen sixty six, and they often win all three games. Um, you know, to not pass the group stage, they have to suffer not one, but probably two upsets. Um, and I just don't see that happening. They're, they're a very strong team, a very consistent team. So, um, I mean, I don't, I'd almost guarantee Brazil's passage out of the group stage and most likely in first place as well. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. I think 91%, uh, I guess maybe one in 10 times uh, something odd could happen that would see them uh, not finish 
No, I, I, I honestly don't see uh, finishing third in the group stage behind these teams. Um, it, 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 it would happen less than one in 10 times, I think. And it would be maybe more devastating than the loss to Germany in 2014. Mm-hmm. I did make a mistake in the history and said uh, 1966 was the only time they didn't pass the group stage. That was true in 1932. But hey, you know, that's uh, how many World Cups uh, is it that they have passed a group stage, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I also see them as uh, coming in a bit more kind of um, sober into this World Cup, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm really hoping that we don't see the, the silly antics of uh, um, of Neymar. And, uh, and I really do kind of think that that, that loss to uh, Germany and, and the long string of uh, World Cups without a success has made them quite determined and uh, now and they've reached the final of the last two Copa Americas they've been stunning in qualifications so I don't think they're going to take any of the teams lightly I think they'll be really focused on getting the job done yeah yeah they just had like a brutal consistency in qualification they qualified early and there was still no let up from Brazil um going undefeated against um, very good teams too yeah home and away they were just relentless so um yeah there's really no sign that a slip-up is imminent. Right. I might surprise you even further by saying the odds makers give them a 73% chance of winning this group. Yeah, I I just don't really see many scenarios where they don't. I, I also think that's a bit low. Yeah, yeah, definitely too low. Uh, okay, well, do you see Switzerland as the uh, second-place finisher here? Yeah, so interestingly, the, the odds put Switzerland and Serbia very close, as do the ELO rankings. Um, the FIFA rankings, there's there's a bit more of a gap. Um, but actually, I see Switzerland as as the better team here. Um, and I'm kind of confident in saying that. When you look at, at history, Switzerland, you know, recently often passes a group stage where Serbia, if they get to the tournaments, often don't. And they have a very kind of poor and inconsistent um, record, uh, in, certainly with their in their European Cup qualification, where... As where Switzerland, you know, are just kind of a, a relentlessly consistent team. They often get out of the group, not much further than that. Um, but I kind of expect that here. Um, I mean, and that said, Serbia, you know, had a very impressive qualifying campaign, winning their group ahead of um, Portugal. They have um, Alexander Mitrovic, who's just on fire and, and is typically a great goal scorer for them. So it's yeah. possible that perhaps they're, you know, they're entering a bit of a spike in performance. Um, but looking at the Nations League, where they're a Nations League B team and Switzerland the A team, I mean, I, I see that reflective of their true relative strength. So I favor Switzerland more than what the odds makers and rankings suggest. Yeah, I mean, I would say, uh, of course, it was impressive that they qualified over Portugal. But you did point out uh, when looking at that tournament that, that it was really a last-minute goal that uh, saw them in second place, and they otherwise would have had to qualify through a, uh, a qualification and face Italy, uh, I believe, along the way. Um, so I wouldn't say that they're lucky to be at this cup, but I do think that's kind of the limit uh, and has been the limit of their success. Uh, even though they they uh, are the descendant team of Yugoslavia, I got to say it's, um, it's Croatia that seems to have inherited the intermittent success 
that Yugoslavia had. So uh, otherwise, I would say, you know, Perbia, uh, Serbia could pop up at any time and finish third in the cup. But really, it's Croatia who, who seemed to be that way, whereas Serbia consistently fails to reach the Euro Cup or consistently, uh, you know, good consistency in reaching the World Cup, but uh, consistently falls at the group stage. So I do think they have the uh, talent uh, to go a little further with a bit of luck. But I got to say, in this group, um, I don't think luck will be enough. Uh, Brazil uh, is so strong and Switzerland, as you say, is so consistent, especially against second tier teams, that I don't see any room for Serbia uh, uh, getting through or putting in a stunning performance. They haven't really done anything like that. Yeah. That said, I mean, if they, if both Switzerland and Serbia beat Cameroon, and we'll, we'll talk about Cameroon in a second, and they both lose to Brazil, it, it will come down to that final match between them. It could be very delicately poised, and, and a draw could just see the kind of the, the randomness of, of goal difference coming into it. So it could be a matter of keeping a low score against Brazil or, or scoring several against Cameroon. Um, so it, it's going to be delicately poised until the end, I I think. But even in a head-to-head matchup, I, yeah, I, I favor Switzerland. Yeah, I like that point. I like that you say it could kind of come down to a bit of randomness at the end. And I think certainly on a good day, they may be capable of uh, tying Switzerland. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's not out of the question. I still see these odds. I mean, honestly, the scenario you described are kind of what these odds are describing. And even though I do think they'll both lose to Brazil and beat Cameroon, uh, I, I think in their head-to-head, I would give Switzerland a much bigger chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we both said that uh, um, they, they, you know, expect to win over Cameroon. Do you think Cameroon has a chance to overcome that? I, I think Cameroon has as a chance of getting points in this tournament, but I don't see Cameroon as really a threat to the European teams um, for second place. They're they're a, you know they're they're an okay team in Africa, a strong relatively strong team, but they're not among the strongest African teams even in this tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, third place was good, but keep in mind that they were playing at home in the recent African Cup, so it'll give them optimism. But you know, in Africa, especially home form. Is a, can be a huge advantage. Um, so, yeah, I, I see Cameroon. They have they have some talented players, um, but I don't see them at the level of the other two teams. Um, points are possible, uh, probably more against Serbia than Switzerland, the way I see it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, I don't really see them overtaking them and less so to be a threat to advance. Am I, am I unkind or do you agree? No, I, I would say, honestly, Connor, I'm even a bit more cynical uh, than you. And it's not because of, uh, of their performances in 2010 and 2014. I think they'll be better uh, better than that here. Um, but one of, one of the things that I, I find hard to wrap my head around uh, was, you know, they won the 2017 African Cup completely out of the blue because they were doing poorly until then. And but so you think they would kind of go forward with a solid team that they could build around. And the fact is I think I think there are only uh four or five players from that two thousand and seventeen uh squad who have survived long enough um to be on this squad. 
So uh, for some reason, they find themselves having to rebuild after winning that African Cup title. And the rebuilding is actually going uh, reasonably well, but um, uh, it's still underway. So as you say, they're, they're, um, they're probably behind Ghana, the second weakest team at this Cup. And there are teams like Nigeria and Algeria and Egypt who didn't make it, who are probably stronger teams than them. Uh, I think you would have to be a really strong team like they were in, in 1990 uh, to to uh, come in and challenge in this cup. And again, I, I haven't seen them doing anything in recent times that, that would make them uh, kind of a threat here. There's always room for a surprise and they do have some uh, talented players. But um, I think this cup, uh, the level will be too high for them, as it has been for five of the last seven uh, uh, cups where they've only passed the group stage. Yeah, or failed to pass the group stage. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, failed to pass yeah. the group stage. So, yeah, some of those teams had a stronger squad uh, than this squad, and uh, still it was a struggle to get past the group stage. So, yeah, um, yeah i got to say that they're going to be um, I, I just see them finishing last here. Yeah, I, I think what, what settles it for me is you have two teams in Brazil and Switzerland who typically pass the group stage, and you have two teams in Serbia and Cameroon who typically don't if they get here at all. Um, and I just, yeah, the way this group shakes out, I, I see a kind of a clear one, two, three, four. Um, and I think kind of that, that recent history will, will stay true. I don't really see a big shakeup or, or a lot of room for surprises in this group. I agree. Uh, of those one, two, three, four, which uh, area do you think would uh, is the most open to a switch? I think possibly Serbia and Switzerland, partly given a bit of the weakness of Cameroon. But, you know, Serbia, you know, on a game level can surprise. They can beat good teams and they may only need one good game against Switzerland to do that. Um, you know, they have Alexander Mitrovic, who, who scored almost 50 goals in just 75 appearances. He's a machine for Serbia. So, you know, you have a player like that, you know, he can win you yeah. a game or, or pop up with a 90th minute goal when it matters. Um, so that makes Serbia a bit more of a threat. But, um, yeah, I, I say that without being... Um, all that convinced it'll happen because Switzerland, I just see them as an unrelentingly consistent team Yeah. Um, that, that, that doesn't drop a lot of points that they shouldn't. Yeah, I actually came into the group thinking that uh, Serbia and Cameroon was maybe the, the two that could switch. But uh, honestly, thinking about it and looking at their history and, and their players, uh, I, I would be surprised. I kind of hope Cameroon... Uh, does well because I'm always kind of pulling for the teams from from Asia and Africa to do better at the cup. Do you think the climate gives them any kind of an advantage? I don't think so. I mean, um, I think the home field matters. Um, I mean, they play a lot in their climate um, in Africa and even there they've had draws with Malawi, Comoros, other teams like that. So no, I don't. I don't see it being a huge advantage for Cameroon. Not enough to overcome um, the other teams. Okay, what if I throw in that they have four players playing in Saudi Arabia? Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, but including no. Abubakar. Yeah, I mean he's the, he's their uh, their kind of maverick player. He was sensational in the African Cup. So Cameroon have talent. They have players playing 
yeah. you know, good players playing in Saudi Arabia, but also top leagues in Europe. Um, I mean, they're not a, a weak team, but they're just weak once I think they get onto the this global stage of playing the best of the best. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, even if we, we put Abubakar and uh, Mitrovic head-to-head, I think uh, Mitrovic is still more capable of pulling off, uh, yeah. you know, pulling off upsets. Yeah. All right, Connor. Well, I think you've been very wishy-washy here, and it seems like you can't make any kind of a decision. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pin you down here. Tell me, how is this group gonna turn out? Well, if I wasn't clear already, I'll, I'll say it here: uh, Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, Cameroon. That's my pick. Uh, yeah, I gotta go the same way. And uh, in my notes, I even kind of said even a deviation as far as a draw in this group would would be a surprise for me. Um, uh, although there is kind of a chance between Serbia and Switzerland, or if Serbia uh, uh, kind of comes a bit weaker, Serbia and Cameroon. But yeah, I don't see much deviation from the pots here. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. And thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Those who are unfamiliar with our podcast might want to keep listening for some information uh, for further listening. Um, but if you're turning off now, goodbye, and we'll we'll hope you tune into our next podcast in the series, Group H. All right, good talking to you about this, Connor. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, for the listening, we've done nine different series of podcasts if you're interested in a deeper dive. Uh, some of the information may be dated, but some of the histories focus on different aspects of the team histories, so it can help you to get to know teams more intimately. Yes, as mentioned, this is our 10th series, and we have done at least one series on every region except Oceania. We have files for that region too, and we'll do one down the road so as not to leave them out. But let's go region by region. Uh, right, so Europe, our first series was a group by group podcast on the teams of Euro 2020. Uh, that was played in the summer of 2021. And uh, for South America, we also did a group by group podcast on the teams in Copa America 2021. For North America, we have done three series on CONCACAF. The first was a group by group podcast on the teams in the 2021 Gold Cup. That included a look at Qatar. The second was a preview of the eight teams in the final round of World Cup CONCACAF qualifying. That came with our first player series where we went team by team through the players. The third was an update halfway through that qualification. Yes, and for uh, Asia, we did a group-by-group group podcast on the 12 teams in the final round of World Cup qualifying, and that included a deep dive into each team's World Cup qualifying history. We have done three series on African teams. The first was a group-by-group group podcast on the 24 teams in the 2021 African Cup, played in early 2022. The second, done around the same time, was a team-by-team -team series on the players for each of those teams. Third and finally, we have recently concluded a series on almost all teams in Africa, a group-by-group -group examination of the 12 qualifying groups for the 2023 African Cup. This included a deep dive into their African Cup history, which was quite extensive. This provides a look into some of the lesser teams that rarely even qualify for the African Cup. Right, and we realize that not everyone is interested in the level of detail that we go into. So starting from that series, the 2023 African Cup series, uh, we're editing our media, media casts into shorter versions. 
Uh, generally, for groups and teams, this will just be a summary, uh, a summary uh, and discussion segments of the longer podcasts. And for the player, uh, the player ones, just the sections on the squad's overall strength and a list of the uh, main players that we expect to reach the competition. So uh, that's usually two or three groups per episode. Yes, otherwise each long version of the series contains a deep dive into the matter at hand. So if it's African Cup qualification, for example, it's a deep dive into the team's history of African Cup qualification. Or if it's the World Cup qualification, a deep dive into each team's history in qualifying for the World Cup. Right, and all of those podcasts can be found in our library at soccerfiles.captivate.fm. That's soccerfiles with a PH in the middle and an S at the end. And uh, we also provide a link to our website and other relevant material in the show notes for each uh, media cast. And in general, uh, to find us, you can type Soccer Files Canada into Google, and uh, it's easy to find your way from there. Or just check out the show notes for this or any of our media casts, and it'll be easy to navigate uh, from there. Okay, see you in our future media cast.